welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me is Pete, still from 1999, as he speaks through uh, uh, to us through the wormhole. Hello, 1999 Pete. Let him rip. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 412, the penultimate episode of season four. Species 10C comes to you now via silicon elenium alloy casement. Now, quick question for you, Pete, as you watch this in 1999. Do you find it distracting that you have to watch these tapes with the black bars along the cross, uh, the, 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 the top and the bottom, in order to make it widescreen on your square uh, cathode ray tube TV? Not particularly. I know in the future you're using all sorts of holograms, you know, because of the technology on these shows. So I know we're going to get there eventually. Uh, right around the corner. Also, wait till you see 3D TVs. They're going to be really hot for about three months. Pete, in Star Trek news in the past week, uh, weirdly in the past day that there was Star Wars news, uh, was the latest trailer for star trek strange new worlds offering a different look at this series and of course we will be podcasting it and you will find our feed for that available soon indeed pete as one show's sun starts to rise another show's sun is setting star trek picard matt has wrapped it's the third and final season as we are now two episodes into season two of course we'll be podcasting that tomorrow uh but their their story told now officially in post-production gotta wonder when we'll get an announcement as to when that third season will be available and without delving into Star Trek Picard commentary overly on this Discovery podcast here, what an experience to have a Picard episode that was, you know, action-driven, character-driven, um, and kind of a, a more kind of classic run-and-gun type story. And that's not a slam. Many, many fun Star Trek episodes and movies are, you know, have some metaphor, you know, Khan is Ahab, also great action, and cry at death of Spock. Um, to contrast that experience, or to complement that experience with this week's Discovery, which is, you know, has action and tension and great character stuff as well, but is like cerebral and science and math. And, I mean, it's like the two ends of sci-fi existed simultaneously on Thursday on 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 you know the star trek universe and what a time what a star trek time to be alive it is 1999 to 2022 pete don't worry it's all equally great uh great quality the entire stretch for now though let's focus on the mission briefing for this episode Through the darkness of extragalactic space, Discovery arrives at the hyperfield belonging to Species 10C as the bridge crew claps eyes on it for the very first time. Captain Burnham orders Commander Detmer to hold at 200,000 kilometers. Uh, President Rillick recognizes its size from Earth's sun to Mars, which Lieutenant Awoshikun confirms as a radius of one and a half 
astronomical units or AUs with a gravitational pull of 1.3 suns. Lieutenant Christopher reports no response to their hails. Um, also, shields will not be put up to signal either threat or aggression. There's no sign of weapons, anything, or any change at all on the hyperfield. It's like Species 10C doesn't even know they're there. And Burnham tells Rillick she thinks it's time for the first contact team to implement the contingency plan. But she says they need to give the message uh, they've been sending that's been vetted through all the delegates more time. I rather like the idea. Uh, well, first of all, it's nice that they define the size of the hyperfield just so we have some sort of vague context. The notion that it's uh, 1.5 AUs, I mean, that's big, but not giant, not massive. It, it almost lends itself, as powerful as the 10CR, it almost uh, lends itself to this notion that this is a small this is a small community that they have uh, spatially speaking um, but on the topic of that trying something new we have Culber uh, updating the first contact team talking hydrocarbons uh, and all the emotions that they convey Dr. Harai wants to use the hydrocarbon that says we come in peace uh, Stamlitz starts to replicate it and is going to put it into dots uh, interesting how handy the uh, dot robots have been for storytelling. Um, it's just a, a very useful storytelling tool for like, we're going to send things with story thing to go make things happen or not. Um, however, uh, for them to deploy the dots, uh, they will need to get much, much closer. Indoye notes that they are uh, headed uh, into a potential risk with the uh, hyperfield zapping the warp core and therefore preventing Discovery from running if there is a problem. Uh, however, Harai, Pete, not as pessimistic as he's been, but some cold water here saying that uh, Disco might not even be able to need to run uh, given if the 10C have sufficiently powerful weapons. Yeah, they don't know, given their tremendous technological capabilities, if they could get away. Saru contacts Stamets in engineering uh, as their... Uh, filling up these dots and sending them through a force field above out towards the hyperfield. Uh, Zora reports that she's felt off for several hours. Despite multiple diagnostics, she's still feeling something is unaccounted for. And as soon as they're done there, Stamets will look into it. A nice ticking clock reminder i think we know uh from the prior episode we know that the cause is books hidden ship and all of that um so i, I pete i rather like that it's a way to place pressure on the story uh, our heroes just don't know it uh with that the dots launch great great vfx scene as they're kind of going up and out the chute twisting around the ship um the camera of course twists with them and then indeed does stop at the uh you know we, we all we all accept the story conceit of completely uh cloaked ships being visible to us at home through you know shimmer or electronic outline or things of that sort uh and indeed the story goes to book ship where we are reminded that reno has been kidnapped uh temporarily detained says tarka 
Uh, Reno, of course, defines that as potato, potato. Um, Pete, it is weird how sometimes aggressors don't call the thing a thing. They call it something else and think that by merely changing the wording from, you know, war to security operation, how that somehow makes the bad go away. Um, but book reflects on the 10C knowing potentially or knowing truly what it's like to lose a world yet still they destroy worlds uh this notion do they know or not uh reno is listening the entire time she notes that she could use some black licorice the old blood sugar which is it's delivered well it's written well in terms of we know something is suspicious in part because the camera has showed up you know showed us uh, how she is listening and, you know, presumably formulating a plan. However, the request for black licorice to keep her spirits up, blood sugar and so forth, seems reasonable. Uh, when she finally gets it, uh, unseen to all but the camera, she's fiddling with a piece of metal um, before Book uh, can catch her. Indeed, she is not caught. On the bridge, Detmer has pulled to within 1,000 meters of the hyperfield. Uh, Burnham gives the order to let the dots do their thing. They head to the hyperfield and spray it, which gradually causes ripples to form and protrude out and grab them all. Burnham signals retreat as another spike in the hyperfield comes, but Discovery is grabbed as it turns and goes to warp. Reese reports weapons drop offline and Nilsson says shields are down as they are enveloped and yanked into the hyperfield. We cut to the credits, which show that the episode is written by Kyle Jarrow and directed by Olatundi Ansan Sanmi. Uh, we come out of the credits with Disco inside a membranic orb. Uh, Pete, this is an episode that gives you the science and the space and the space science. Um, the ship is subject to selective shutdown as a result of the orb. Uh, however, it is inside the hyperfield. Uh, sensors show that there are three gas giant planets on the inside. The ship is as a bug in a jar. Pete, I love this tool that Disco continues to use where it's like science, science, science. And then for everybody at home, ship equals bug in jar. Cannot get out of jar, you can infer. Also, Sim jar. Well made. Yeah. There, yeah. And Doye heads to an unoccupied deck to contact Book, uh, where they have not yet heard if Zora has detected them. Uh, Tarka has now located the DMA power source on the far side of the hyperfield in an encasement of silicone alenium alloy. Once they breach it, they could simply pull it out. Tarka shows Book the functional flows as Reno gets a good look at them, something that'll be used to further unfurl the danger later. And Ndoye will keep them posted. Tarka makes some tweaks to his multi-dimensional transporter, but Book wants him to focus on finding a way out of the orb first. And Reno looks again as Tarka maths and she uses the licorice on the device later identified as a communicator chip and brings up a hollow. The music here says that Tarka's fiddling with buttons is uh, slightly sinister. 
a good use of a tool if you've reached the point where you're scoring an episode and things are not sufficiently sinister. That's when you say, hey, Jeff Russo, make it sinister. Personally, I would have liked it maybe if, you know, uh, editing and camera work could communicate that and not put it all on Jeff Russo. But Pete, music is the last line to tell people how to feel, and they're using that here. Uh, the story goes to the bridge where they are being scanned by hundreds of uh, life forms. The situation here is whirring, lots of lots of moving pieces and so forth. Um, suddenly, Saru calls, come and have a first contact chat, please, Captain. We cut to sick bay where Zora is being checked, uh, but no dice to finding a problem. Colbert is there as well, kind of providing the, the, the psychological check to Stamets's technical one. But let's check in with Colbert. Is he all right? Colbert and Stamets reflect on uh, being due a vacation when things settle down. Uh, and indeed, maybe it's time for a little mental vacation for Zora, a little emotional therapy uh, in an episode that juggles a lot of balls and does really, really well with that. Pete, meanwhile, take us to the first contact chat slash important meeting. Rillick wants to know why uh, the 10C has brought them in, but not engaged with them. Saru uh, attempts, uh, says it's an attempt here to ascertain who they are. And Tarina says that that speculation is useless which seems to really wound Saru. And in a moment later, he'll take a side glance at uh, President Tarina. Uh, Harai, who continues to have uh, a charcuterie plate near him because the dude likes his snacks, says that Tensi is likely waiting for them to communicate purpose. Uh, Burnham uh, reflects that for centuries it's been a Federation tradition to give a gift during first contact. Uh, she wants to beam boronite samples to the 10C. Harai says that gift giving is complex and they may not perceive it as it's meant, but it's the only thing they know that 10C wants. Uh, so they're going to beam the particles to the orb membrane which Relic okays. This scene, I think, is a great example of what I had referenced earlier in terms of it's kind of great science-y type stuff. Um, not just the, you know, oh, they have the Bornite left over from previous missions and so forth, but just, yes, gift-giving can be complex. That's not going to get in the way of it being the most direct story answer, but it's just a really phenomenal, um, it, again, I don't want to do it every scene, but it's, an, it's another example of kind of science and culture and all of that coming together. Aboard a book's ship, they can tell that uh, weapons, uh, transporters, communication are still down. Uh, Reno says to book how Tarka is a couple cherries short of a Sunday, but uh, book explains his bond with him because he lost someone and vowed to get him back. His mentor, Cleveland book Booker, used to say that the measure of someone is in how they honor their promises. And in the courier world, trust is everything. It was that name, Cleveland Booker, that earned trust for generations. And when he retired, he gave him the name and his clients he 
is book the fifth. Pete, is this our sympathetic backstory ahead of ahead of a book exit from the series? I don't Stay know. Stay out but... of my theories right now. Uh, um, I know that I do. I mean, we've been discussing for several seasons where did this name come from, and and it's so Earth centric and the burn prevented connection with earth, all of that stuff. This is a really handy, great uh, little anecdote. I don't know if this is based on any other kind of, you know, habit from our real world, but it's, it it too is a handy story device here. Um, Adding to the stories of reflections in in Pete, a scene that is a lot of tell not show that nonetheless works probably because the actors are fantastic. Uh, and, and the writing is is great too. Uh, Reno reflects uh, on uh, her days on the Hiawatha, the you know the downed ship. Uh, she had saved a burned ensign. Uh, she did it as a duty to him and to give her a purpose. Uh, she kept making him skin grafts and so forth. It took him eleven days to die, and that's at the point in the story you go, oh, <laughs> this was not a good story. Um, and she notes that his eyes were the same green as Reno's late wife. Reno uh, sums up by saying that she was holding on not for the ensign, but for herself. Uh, and Book and Tarka's pain is blinding them uh, to to uh, the situation, similar as it was for her. A, a really fantastic story that, you know what, Pete? Uh, I'll double down on Tell Not Show. It's better having Tignataro act this scene and have the the weight of this memory on her face it's better than cut back to new stuff shot where she's saying no live damn you live like it's just better to have to be this this story that kind of has uh, scarred her soul a bit this all as tarka is working to free them uh saru has sent the boronite um and the discussion about hard choices when you hit a wall comes up between Burnham and Ndoye. Uh Burnham is adamant they've not hit the wall yet, though the time left to save United Earth and Vulcan continues to tick away. Um, Zora notes that the orb membrane has thinned near the shuttle bay. Uh, and that it has turned from blue to orange as they head there. Cue the dramatic walk of the first contact team, and Saru notes that a life form is coming with visible gas vents on the uh, set there we've never glimpsed before. And while they didn't provide true purpose in this episode i mean i'm seeing these i'm like they're gonna have to smell the hydrocarbons right it's gonna be a method of delivery uh feels like they might be used in the future Ooh, something to stick a pin into there uh on bookship they see something coming too it's massive very massive um and it seems they're saying hello it has visual receptors and pheromone glands along with an unusual brain structure uh, it is confirmed that the Universal Translator will not help here, uh, which obviously is a major part of the second half of this episode. I think within the moment, it's like, oh, it's another story block. They'll find a workaround. The workaround is the story that's ahead. 
Um, Burnham knows that, that they need to find another way to speak. If there's a recap of the hydrocarbons being emitted, uh, at least currently from this creature, joy, sadness, peacefulness, irritation, surprise, and fear are all trying to be conveyed at once. Uh, the creature admits a complex pattern visually, twice and identically. So that's your confirmation there that it is uh, uh, indeed a pattern and not something that's random. Um, is it that the words are via light and the hydrocarbons are context, context and intent slash tone? Um, again, heady stuff here. Heady kind of science communication, emotion type stuff. Uh, Zora also at this point reflects that the pattern is back. And Pete, if your brain is being broken by the notion of language and tone and hydrocarbons and emotion, I, can you take us back to Book and Tark just for just for a little kind of mental relaxation kind of moment? Well, I'll be the Endoye here who bounces from <laughs> this and then contacts them about uh, the lights in the shuttle bay, which they are also detecting. Uh, and we're down to now 12 hours on our story clock. Uh, Tarka is going to need Endoye's help to ignite a plasma stream so he can burn a hole in the orb. Then a reverse tractor beam will propel them out. No engines needed. So Endoye is going to hack and vent plasma through the starboard nacelle. Feeding information was one thing, though, but this is a form of betrayal. Uh, but Book tells her that uh, no one else needs to die and that they can't do this without it. So they're going to let Ndoye know when they're ready. And he thanks her. Which is an interesting tool of cooperation or manipulation, I guess, depending on your your whether you are the, the the villain in the story or not just this notion of uh you know i empower you to be the thing that puts success over the top you know, it's your decision you can either screw it up or lead to victory it's on you uh we head back to the shuttle bay where zora uh sends the visual message back to them uh back to the creature uh our heroes get a new one in return and the creature leaves uh, it's wondered perhaps the Tensi wanted a new message, not a repeat of the old. Uh, indeed, the Tensi are so complex, perhaps they don't even see Disco and its people as sentient, um, which everyone is a bit kind of, uh, you know, uh, taken aback by, like, but but we're so bright. Um, we're reminded that the Tensi are, you know, many factors more complex than than the creatures before us. Uh, nonetheless, Zora cannot find a pattern of language. Arai can't either. Um, they lack the tools to understand this language if it is even one. Uh, with that, they, they need more perspectives. Uh, Detmer, Nilsson, and Christopher are ordered to the bay uh, in a scene, in a moment, Pete, in which they will all stand appropriately distanced in a nice wide circle while unmasked. Uh, isn't that convenient? It is, and 10C's sophistication noted to be level two on the Kardashev scale, perhaps even beyond to humanity and its peers being like um, monkeys with rocks uh, compared to humans. So a uh, pretty big uh, gap to try to bridge. In sickbay, Culber 
continues to try to help Zora here by playing the Trill game. And that nice move just pushed her sine wave into stabilization. So it's helping. She has found an anomalous event at a replicator that occurred uh, when uh, Commander uh, Reno tried to fix it. And Culper reaches out for Reno, but there's no answer. Sensors show that she's in engineering, probably helping Stamets. So he's going to take a walk to go talk to her. Not a problem at all, which, of course, we know is a problem. It's a great it's a great subplot that we know is rattling towards, you know, major plot status here. You know, this is this is a very well-constructed episode. Uh, back to the shuttle bay uh, again. Everybody's standing in a nice distant circle, um, especially if you're going to bring in people just for this scene. Um, Christopher wonders if the hydrocarbons are perhaps giving structure, much like music uh, that comes with intent and meaning. Um, they they start to look at the hydrocarbons as perhaps the encrypted message. Detmer wonders if the light pattern is a way to read a map, much as a 2D star map represents the 3D universe. Uh, Zora filters it, uh, and the filter ultimately matches the molecule. Now the message can be read, whatever it will mean, but at least they can read it. Zora, analyze, and also, Canadian bridge crew, away! <laughs> It was a nice touch that each of them brought something in there. Christopher, the encrypted message idea, Nilsson with the musical uh, motif, and then, of course, Detmer with the navigational and to overlay it there and then twist it. OK, it, it all works together. Back on books ship here, Tarka's at the console. Uh, and Reno needs Book the Fifth to replicate more licorice. Um, and then through the uh, the downed force field, she grabs his arm to tell her that his friend uh, is going to kill them all. His calculations there about pulling the power source while the DMA is running means that the hyperfield will implode, destroying everything and everyone inside it. Uh, but he said it was safe. Well, he's a liar. And not only is it going to destroy the hyperfield, it is going to create a subspace rift near Earth that will kill everyone almost just as fast as the DMA would. Um, so this doesn't work. And he's going to uh, lie to you, even when you ask him to show you the math, because it won't make sense to you. But the look on his face will pain makes people blind. Back to the shuttle bay. Zora is done uh, analyzing. And the message is indeed one of mathematical equations. Uh, of course, says Dr. Harai. Uh, look at the pattern. It's saying that this is greater than that. They're trying to teach a bridge language like Linkos, which is referenced as a 21st century thing. I I'm assuming it's a 21st century thing. Um, ultimately, well, this Medi, the messaging extraterrestrial intelligence is a real thing. So, For people who are saying that this, you know, who, who are decrying as of late, oh, I, when will Star Trek have 
no stairs and more science, you know, like it used to be. Well, they used to have stairs back in Classic Trek, and just the science, uh, I was going to say overwhelms. I, that sounds negative. The amount of science in this episode, whether it's pseudoscience or whether it's tenuously making connections between music and language and hydrocarbons, it's it's elegantly pulling at all these things as science fiction should do. Um, and indeed, they're talking here about how this bridge language is a way to build communication with a series of if-then statements. Relax says that they should send a message back, and Harai and Zora are going to make, uh, they're going to pull the hydrocarbon message together. Uh, with that, Pete Enjoye grabs Tarina for a sidebar. Meanwhile, Severu and Burnham have their own private conversation. And in that latter one, Severu talking about how Tarina has been so strident with him. Uh, Burnham, in what could have been just a character moment, Burnham explains that Vulcans uh, can be like that, particularly in times of stress, snapping to rigidity, especially in public. Uh, we're going to mine this moment later, though, to just kind of return to the notion of communication. But we're not going to spend too much time, Pete, because with that, Harai has 4 plus 5 equals 9. And Burnham loves math. Uh, on books, ship here. They have moved past the confrontation about the math and now talking about Tarka's truthfulness here. But he said no one would get hurt. Uh, and Tarka admits he didn't want to make it harder for Book, so he lied. Uh, but Book will not do to the 10C what they did to Quajon, and he also won't put Discovery at risk. Um, but Tarka's totally certain the implosion would take a good three minutes, enough time for them to warp to safety, maybe even the 10C. But what about Earth? Well, his calculations show it'd take a month for uh, the subspace rift to hit them. Plenty of time for their scientists to find a solution. For their scientists to mumble, mumble, mumble. You know, they're scientists to do something. Listen, Matt, they're going to take light and bleach and shine it into the subspace rift. And uh, I'm told that they can do something with that. Uh, with that, Tarka and Book start to yell at each other. Um, and Book is uh, playing a game of keep away. Tarka, keep away from the consoles. Um, however, it appears Tarka has a personal safety field. I know it's actually one of the... Uh, you know, he's using the internal ship uh, shielding system, but uh, it, it felt a bit out of the blue, although they're going to explain it more uh, in the book scene when we return to it. Uh, but first, we're back to Disco. Uh, They've received a message back, and they can decode it now. It's more math. It's all different ways to equal nine. Ah, Pete, if only they did. Look, it says one plus eight equals nine, and two plus... But they spare us the particulars there. Uh, they also say there's an approaching object, a round sphere. Is it, Pete, the great crossover that we've been waiting for? Is this the last navigator? <laughs> it is not. Oh. Uh, but there's also no radiation or toxins. The exterior is coated in the peace hydrocarbon. The interior is breathable. And then it forms doors that look a lot like those on Discovery. 
and uh, Burnham wants to know if they can go inside. Uh, which they're not going to rush to do, which at first I was like, come on, story pace, but they're, they're, they're being, uh, they're being careful and prudent. Um, however, as they're going to talk about that, the story is going to move back to the exciting fight on Book's ship. Each time Book fires at Tarka, uh, he is force fielded away. Uh, indeed, Book is kind of blasted back. So it's, it's kind of self-inflicted wounds to Book. Book is self-inflicting wounds by way of Tarka. Um, Tarka does look unsympathetic, however, is unchanged. Uh, Tarka does lower the force field for Reno. Big Reno moment? No, it's to pull the 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 beaten and battered book in. Tarka, again, great acting here. He notes that he has had two real friends in his life, and book was one. Reno, of course, snarkily adds that he has a funny way of showing it. Field goes back up, even as Reno tells Tarka that what he's doing is wrong. Uh, what a nice notion that you can just say this is fundamentally morally wrong. Uh, and Tarka sets the new, new story clock at 30 minutes till things. Relic decides that she's going to go into this breathable atmospheric bubble. Um, and uh, she's asking Burnham and Saru to accompany her with their Xeno uh, anthropology and linguistics background. She asks Harai to stay, that if something were to happen to them, he can resume diplomacy. Tarina and Ndoye are asked to join, and Tarina will advocate for her people, but Ndoye, because she's working behind the scenes and they don't know that, has total faith in their mission and will remain outside. Uh, but Burnham needs to borrow Saru for just a minute in her quarters. They reflect, Pete, that the 10C have all the cards. And with that, Burnham feels like everything is slipping through her fingers. Uh, Saru reflects on having felt powerless lately as well. Um, however, Tarka taught him a solution. I was like, wait, what? Tarka? I don't remember this. Yelling. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. That minor detail. Perhaps Saru could demonstrate. He clears his throat and yells. Burnham grimaces and yells back. Uh, indeed, it helps uh, as Grudge looks on. Pete, all I know is this. I remember back in the old late elementary school, early middle school health classes, they did say that when you're feeling frustrated, you can do things like take a walk, sing a song, or yell into a pillow. So I'm assuming it's sound. Ah! Uh... Grudge gets down off the bed there. They laugh. It was needed for them. Not so much for Grudge. Uh, but Burnham tells Saru after this silly moment that there's nobody she'd rather go into the unknown with. And it's the honor that Saru feels to be alongside. And they hug before we go to engineering. Isn't it weird that nobody could find Reno? Uh, Adira says that Reno, in fact, has not been in engineering all day. But wait, what's that over there? It's her badge, unattached to her, of course, uh, still streaming biometric data, despite the fact that she's clearly not there. Reno is paged ship-wide. Smooth transition as we go back to the shuttle bay and hear, boom, Lieutenant Commander Jet Reno, report to engineering. 
Um, of course, those there assembled can't can't worry about such things. Uh, in part because Saru approaches Tarina, saying that they don't ha have cause to fear. Uh, Tarina notes her personal fondness for Saru, though such difficulties are why perhaps she avoids sharing such fondness. Again, Pete, I will say the things that we are seeing not not even things implied not thing not scenes behind closed doors the things shown to us between Severu and Tarina uh, on Vulcan such things would be NC17 headed towards an X rating it is this is steamy steamy Vulcan stuff going on here uh yeah talking about uh, personal fondness here um but they will be together and uh, perhaps her not uh, being close with people is a way that she's limited this in the past. Just then, Matt, to break the steaminess, uh, a crew member beams in and hands the object from Stamets to Saru. And Burnham tells them all it's time to go as they get into the uh breathable space and it disappears now pete i must confess i was a little i thought saru was given a personal transporter but later it is used as a scanner so can you tell me in all seriousness can you tell me what is the purpose of what, what is the stated purpose of the device uh i know earlier they had talked about the boronite um and I thought it might have been part of that as a gift. Um, and then, yeah, they use it within the replica bridge. So it's an object. Okay. So so at the very least, if I am confused, it is because nobody says, here is your special hoozy-wutsy that can do right. X and we, Y, but not We talk all the, all the time how, you know, clarification is sometimes just a line of dialogue away. Commander, here or captain, here is your who's he wants. He, here's here's the multi-tool Stamets has put together. Like then you go, oh, it does a lot of things. Got it. Uh Pete, with that disappearing sphere, everyone is in a state of wonderment. We get an act break. Uh, and then we return from it. Our team sees the Discovery Bridge, but as Rod Serling uh, once asked, where is everybody? Saru sees that it is a replica, a place to feel comfortable. Uh, the camera work here is slightly fish-eyed. It suggests that they are not alone without also being over the top and like, this is the point of view of, you know, hidden bug or camera or robot or whatever. Um, indeed, the isolytic weapon appears in front of them, but it is not armed. Is it a threat or a gift? I'm impressed that we are this late in the episode still doing legitimate um like it's okay for them to be confused even in the penultimate episode of the season saru's sensors show molecules and lights he translates the message uh 178 plus an equation equals curiosity uh, it is noted that 178 is the atomic weight of isolinium so isolytic weapon plus dma question um, it, it might be that the 10C are indeed unaware of the DMA damage. Other response must show that it needs to stop. It's time for them to use some math. How about 178 plus something equals fear, says I. Uh, I feel like that would be a, a good starting place. But, but Pete, 
I'm feeling overwhelmed by the math. Can you take me to a scene that's less about math and more about people sharing specific concrete details? Well, I'll, I'll use a basic equation. Endoye plus book equals uh, safety. Endoye plus Tarka, not so much. Um, book is telling Tarka to tell Endoye to stand down to give the talks a chance but Tarka texts her as a book that they are ready, and Ndoye is going to vent that plasma. By the way, Pete, from 1999, uh, this is capturing a thing of our time where there's all the texting, uh, and thank goodness uh, neither Ndoye or, or you know, book slash faux book that they thank goodness they don't start to type so you get the three dots oh they're replying and then you don't get anything because it's it, it leads to uh the hydrocarbon of ambiguity uh <laughs> anyhow with Ndoye leaking the plasma we head back to burnham and company who have come up with uh we need us plus dma equals terror again bold this late in the episode to be wondering well how do you communicate that is it us four people or is it us number six because we are carbon-based uh burnham agrees to go with biology but let's look at the air that we are breathing this simple thing all around us 78 percent nitrogen uh what about 22 percent oxygen got some ar- uh, some argon some co2 etc um w- which again i pete i would be interested to know how long did it take the writing room to figure that one out because we don't think of air as tremendously complex. It's just this thing that is everywhere and works for us. Meanwhile, it's tremendously complex. And in the fiction of the story, these you know space whale aliens have made a whole room with the right amount of nitrogen, oxygen, argon, CO2, and so forth. It's, it's beautifully complex science and simple story stuff at the same time. Saru enters this as a code and sends it. The music is hopeful. There's a new message coming back. Uh, greater than and sadness great sadness they understand this is a wonderful moment conveyed with an unseen villain using science and math this is star trek and it's all working the elegance of it here and relic decides that diplomacy can happen because they have empathy they feel sorrow for what they've caused in engineering uh stamets uh can't find reno here um so what they have found though is that uh her badge uh was tampered with to cover this up he's been looking for her all day but zora notes that access panel 4351 had been opened which adira gets inside of and finds a device that's definitely not supposed to be there that is the source of the feeling oh no cloaked vessel attached to me get it off get it off and there is rumbling which is the plasma being vented from the nacelle uh it's at this point that tarka is leaving and he gets the ship off he burns that hole in the orb the bridge can't override it um and uh stamets tells them what's happened as book ship goes and the bridge can do nothing 
Pete, you spoke of the kind of aspirational uh, effectiveness of the prior scene. I would say it's equally, um, it's Equal equally than. affirming. Equal to. What's that? <laughs> Equal to. <laughs> Equal to indeed. Uh, it, it's equally amazing to kind of reflect on this scene where this is the time where everything goes wrong. And I think it's with, we don't look at it. We don't look at this scene with any cynicism because it's late in the episode, because we need to set up the season finale, because uh, of course, bad things go wrong to give you a cliffhanger. Like, yes, that's why on the writing room whiteboard, they said scene where everything goes wrong. Two scenes later, go to credits. Um, but it just feels it's been set up so naturally that when we get the surprise, it's all bad or not surprised because we, the audience know it's been going bad slowly the entire time. Like it just, it's the piece that fits perfectly. Not, Oh, this is a ramp to make to make us watch more next week. Um, indeed team Burnham, uh, sees a reaction on their faux bridge. They get suddenly sent back to the bay. Uh, we are told that there's four hours left. Uh, and on Bookship, Reno has a communicator. Uh, the licorice was conducting the signal, and she needs access. Uh, she needs books, access codes, time to type and talk fast. Uh, we do get the recap that she stashed that communicator chip when she realized Psychopants, aka Tarka, was going to stun her. So at least we know she was stunned to be brought aboard Bookship. It's the glycerizic acid in licorice when dissolved that's why she was chewing it which can conduct electricity uh she can use it to call discovery but she can't get past books security protocols so he gives her the access codes um through that to the bridge as the hole is sealed here uh reno's message is played that the hyperfield is going to implode and send a toxic dump towards Earth, and they have to stop them, whatever it takes. Pete, we have a tactical analysis with this week's threats. Let's start with Tarka, who is looming larger and larger lying to accomplish his goal here of using that trans-dimensional transporter to return to his friend and uh, allowing Book to be harmed here. The collateral damage not even on his radar. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I evoked the con as Ahab uh, comparison, you know, oft made in low these many years. I think this is the episode where it's clear that, you know, Tarka is like Ahab as well. Like this is, he is so focused on doing the good thing that he wants to do that he's not seeing that it is bad. And in terms of redemption arcs, which we'll be talking about a bit in theories, you know, this is the point where I think there's no there's no turning back for Tarka in terms of, you know, well, let's excuse it. Or, oh, six months later, after six months of prison, now he's making his way in the in the universe again. It's just the the elemental badness of Tarka is laid bare here. In terms of threats for the ship and threats for all our heroes, there is, of course, this wildly 
powerful hyperfield that easily pulls them in. Uh, almost looked like a looked like a limb, looked like a person as it was pulling them in. Um, I think also the show does a great job to not science the science in terms of explaining the hyperfield. It is so advanced that that it knocks out sensors that can't tell you more about the science behind it. They're in the hands of something so powerful that communication is really their only option. They can't get away from it. Uh, they can't fight it. So, you know, the idea of finding a way to get through, which this episode is ultimately all about, the path forward. Last major threat is Ndoye, who it'll be interesting to see Ndoye's fate in next week's episode, the season finale. Um, I like that Ndoye has showed restraint in, you know, I'll give you information, I'll hedge my bet. To have taken action like this, fine, she hasn't started the war with the 10C, but she put the gun in Tarka's hand. I feel there's a great degree of culpability here for Ndoye. Um, and could the story make me feel that she's given a, a route to rehabilitation, you know, whether it's, you know, kind of honor and death because she saves the ship from the warp core breach or, you know, she, she, she earns her way back and lives to see season five and all that perhaps, but you know, the blood is increasingly on her hands for whatever the fallout is to open next week's episode. Though she represents United earth. It's the, uh, earth centrism here that well i've got to save my planet um and yeah they're under the gun but so is vulcan and you don't see tarina uh taking these steps now logic versus emotion right we all get that we all get the characterization there um Indoye does at one point draw a line of the betrayal of venting the plasma but she still does it I don't think she pays with her life, but I think it's going to be something she's going to have to admit and, uh, you know, face the culpability for. Let's use our long range sensors to scan ahead for some theories. Uh, Pete, let's start with this. <laughs> the redemption arcs is books redemption arc back in play you know he he was invoking kind of his fondness for burnham last week um this week now that he has kind of seen proof of it really is the the, the greater good for whom uh you know great sacrifices the dma the hyperfield and so forth are, are being made the the greater good is actually not being benefited the way it was pitched to him so is there a road back for book the only thing that did not cement his fate was a flashback. But all the story posts are there. We now know about Cleveland Book Booker, the origin of it. He, as the fifth of that name, courier tradition. I got to wonder uh, if somebody's going to be the sixth very soon. Ooh, that's an interesting... That's an interesting possibility. Um, it, it, it is not 
it is not with fondness that I consider that next week could be book's last episode. David Jawa has been a part of this show for so long, particularly Half since... Half the run now. What's that? Half the run. Yeah. Um, and then when you factor in, like, when he was first announced or the first time he was on, on you know, on a convention stage for it, it was like... The prior season had yet to air or was still partially like, whatever it was. It was like seeing him was so, so far off, you know, or, you know, hearing the actor's name connected to it was so, so far off from the first time we saw him and so forth. Um, it's a great he's a great character. The the pair of him being with Burnham, it's a great it's a great pair, um, particularly this kind of, you know, civilian and Starfleet pairing and all that. Um I don't know. I feel like that's one of the many stakes that that's kind of the human stake, the personal stake for next week's episode. Yes, we have fate of the universe and fate of billions of people again. And that's not a slam against Star Trek. It's just, boy, at the end of a season, who's going to who's going to destroy civilization this time? Is it the Borg? Is it the 10C? Is it control? Is it, you know, and so on and so forth. Um, I guess we'll see. Pete, as for Tarka, is Tarka kind of the war the war crimes tribunal, you know, guilty of war crimes, all of that. Will it be curtains for Tarka next week? I feel like they've cut this episode so that the final episode will be resolved in like the first third so that we can get the after effects. I feel like we have a lot to address on that end. Um, that, he'll be stopped that uh this will all be avoided both the implosion and the uh, damage sent to the alpha quadrant and then what you do with him is it ultimately an 11th hour turn of i'm not going to do it or is he thwarted from either within by book and reno or without by discovery or some combination of the two. I feel like Tarka needs the, needs the Ahab, the Matt Decker kind of conclusion of he needs to be consumed. I, I feel like Tarka needs to pay the story price of his life. And I feel like the fitting way is for him to be consumed by the thing he's battling, either battling with, i.e., the tool he's using for destruction or by the, the, the hyperfield, the DMA, something like that. Um, particularly if we're leaving room for like, and book is back after a slap on the wrist or a in between season jail time and enjoy a, you, you did not hold to the Alliance. Therefore, you know, you are kicked out and removed of rank. And you know, like if enjoy is forever benched and book is back next season, Tarka really, really must pay for his life, despite the fact Sean Doyle's a great actor and the character, the character that's of Tarka that started kind of slow pedaled to us has ended up being a really, really great slow burn here. Um, I think he needs to pay. He needs to pay. Uh, Pete, a small question here for a small bit of story. Uh, after such a great and vital introduction, is Discovery having trouble finding some story time for Adira? I don't think so. I think they do what they need to in this episode. They're helping with the dots. Part of the engineering team working to find Reno 
finding the uh, device there left, I, I think, in an ensemble effort here enough. Um, and I think it leads to something that needs to be addressed in the finale, uh, what Gray's been up with, up to, and a check-in there. By the way, Pete, not exactly a theory, but I guess here's the best place to put it. So this episode, episode referenced not just the Linkos language, but the group METI, Messaging Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Uh, one of its uh, notable members that sits on the board of directors slash advisory council is Anson Mount, who is huh. starring in uh, Strange New Worlds. So Star Trek and Star Trek, kind of the snake eating its tail. Um any theories on what that says about the uh, perhaps the fictional nature of our own reality? Could you imagine if Captain Pike represents us in first contact? Like there he is vis visiting Medi headquarters one random day, but that's the day that the aliens come and they're like, oh, well, I'm no speaker. I'm no speaker here. Anson, can you say these things? And there he is suddenly now one of the most important humans in our entire existence saying hello we are the people of earth we hope you come in peace we are a people learning to you know striving to be better and to come together you know like wow that would be something that if would be that quite a thing. doesn't underscore i mean listen we know how influential nichelle nichols has been in the space program okay if those two don't underscore the importance of this entertainment thought-provoking aspirational we got nothing left well pete i got nothing left when it comes to theories what do you have these shuttle bay vents again felt very intentional i get it it's a working space and gas and fumes right but also programmable matter and other ways to do that. It feels as if that could be a place where we can directly communicate with the hydrocarbons and the pheromones and all of that. Is it possible that the shuttle base space that they filmed in the past prior to this season has been a big um, green screen affair and now it is in a new, now it's on a new soundstage, the soundstage that has the LED wall. And along the way, they've zhuzhed up the, the set and either at the highest level or, or on a lower level, like, oh, let's just add more some, it's like, since we're standing here with a black floor and a big giant screen, we got to have something to like tie all this together. Otherwise it's like, you know, it's a gymnasium with a really cool TV on one wall Hey, I have an idea. Let me put in some vents and we can go with the smoky stuff. Great. Awesome. That'll help solidify this space where previously we had a bunch of, you know, we had, you know, Gary over there in Carpentry building a whole bunch of, you know, six-sided cubes to stack. And we had this and we had that. Like, we can't do all that if we want to have these sets on the move and and all of this. So, yeah, get get some vents. Is it maybe that, Pete? Again, it it could. It just felt like directionally uh you know related to the storytelling uh on storytelling matt is there any way tarka can reunite with oros 
you know, I'm, I have to admit, given the given the naughty business that Tarka has been up to in the last two episodes, I've forgotten that that's a story thread. Um, I mean, look, if Tarka is successful, he gets his power source. He he makes the jump to another universe, but in that success, he also is going to doom Earth and Navar and all of this. So I don't think that he will be allowed that i don't think the story can allow him that success if it if indeed it is this binary tarka wins we all lose um it, you know does that become the tragic you know like we want justice tarka you know tarka as a fake person execute him for the crimes story um it, do we feel sympathetic you know, as he dies do we feel sympathetic that he he won't meet up with oros again is that kind of the 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 bitter the bitterness of it um i don't know what my feelings are on the matter i do think though for for tarka to you know fall into the fall into the goo and say ah for now i am dead and to not kind of circle back to to oros one more time uh either success or failure i think that would be a shortcoming of the story and and, and frankly, they did all these reshoots at the end of last summer, in my mind, to avoid us in the finale going, oh, they kind of forgot about Oros. Uh, you know, like, no, they did reshoots so they could remember, they could remember with their Canadian actors, hey, come on over without needing to switch borders. Come on from where you live to our, to, you know, stay in Canada. Come on over. We need you to film a thing where you say, alas, poor Oros, I knew ye well. And then we've been promised a Tilly return gotta happen next week, right? Pete, all I know is this, uh, the emotion hydrocarbon of anticipation plus 413. That's the mathematical number to represent, to represent this final episode, uh, for next week. Uh, it must equal Tilly. That's what we've been told with that. Let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. We check our Twitter poll, which, uh, Pete, uh, I was rather proud of myself. I said in the penultimate season four episode, uh, hope and disaster are in the air of 78% nitrogen and 21% oxygen. Uh, but what equation shows your response to species 10C? Flash your lights below. Uh, our podcast orb arrives on Saturday. Indeed, if you're listening to it and you're not Pete listening to it as we record, then it has arrived. Uh, Pete, the first equation, us plus broken heart equals frowny face, got 5.6%. Next, uh, us plus wounded heart equals two smiley faces got seven sixteen point seven percent, and then us plus full heart got three uh, applauding smiley faces that got seventy seven point eight percent. We hear heard from JT Atkins. That's at JTA is me. Uh, know your princess bride, Cleveland book Booker is the Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, indeed, I guess that is where that trope has been used before. <laughs> There we go. It just came all, all cir- uh, full circle there. Uh, James is sagacious. That's at Big Killing on Twitter. Says, this show is comfort food for me. Warms my heart. Andre Yeager, Dr. Polo 1983, said, good episode, but it's still going slow. We finally got something of a glimpse of the 10C, but they were shrouded in red smoke. I also don't need 10 minutes of the team trying to figure out a language. Still hate Tarka. Hopefully they can button things up properly next week. Your thoughts, Pete? I would respectfully disagree with the great Dr. Polo there, even down to like, so what does a big gas alien look like? 
I feel like we saw enough to say I can barely imagine, I can barely understand what this would look like, but I certainly respect Andre's opinion. Your thoughts, Pete? There were, you know, holographic representations that Harai had on his pad. We were told about the brain structure being highly unusual. You'd have to imagine there'd be a better glimpse in the finale, something that kind of cement the first contact between them uh and and the wonder at that uh so i was okay with the way they presented it here next up from spider ham lincoln tests lc139 we have this message i'm just not feeling this season the overall pacing is slow the science fiction is incredible uh or difficult to follow at times and i don't get the sense of urgency from the drawn out serialized format that i really felt in season two I can't even remember the majority of the season four episodes without help from IMDb. They were mostly forgettable. I think season four would have benefited from having two major storylines, one that was concluded halfway through the season and another for the second half uh, that could have been borne out from the first half. The supporting cast hasn't been utilized enough, and I miss Tilly's presence. I'm really hoping for a great, satisfying conclusion from the finale because, so far, season four has been a dud uh, compared to Discovery Past. And would they just give the Dread Pirate Roberts ship a name already? P.S., <laughs> which is a very fair, oh, first of all, good job on the uh, Princess Bride reference there. And second of all, uh, yes, <laughs> agree. Um, Spider-Ham Lincoln says, P.S., we, we may have to steal ourselves for an unanticipated tragic outcome. The loss of Book's ship with all hands aboard, Book, Tarka, and Reno. I can easily see this happening in contrast to a happy ending. They lose. Man. Uh, they lose even if they win and Burnham adopts grudge. Pete, I'm now really worried for Tignataro next week. Uh, well, for her character. Tignataro is doing just great. You, Thank you very you much. Better she kicks ass find a answer. way to, uh, to save her. I mean, book might be the, the sacrifice that's demanded, but holy smokes, man, you get rid of Reno here, we riot. We hear from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf on Twitter. Uh, finally, some actions and answers. This season has been frustratingly lacking on gratification. I appreciate President Tarina's character development, particularly her willingness to admit to her faults when it comes to relationships. Lastly, any pity I felt for Tarka is officially spent. Hate that guy. Last tweet here, Pete. It comes from Make It So. That's at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. I generally can't get enough of can't get enough of this show which is fortunate because the season is probably a few episodes too long. Still loved it, though. Reno got uh, involved in the story, and Reese was in the big chair. I thought the language deciphering was pretty cool. Lots of Trek babble, and I loved it. I'm looking forward to the resolution and crossing my fingers that the future survives. I'm going to guess it does. Although, Pete, while I... Well, I, I'm going to guess it does, exclamation point. So I don't think that Make It So is seriously considering that the future doesn't survive but pete could it be like can we can we empirically rule out that discovery won't get sent back in time to the 27th century next season and that everybody in the 33rd century gets killed off i don't think that's gonna happen but could it happen uh, i i don't know that i can take it off the table i think i can handicap that it had happened at a super low percentage. Uh, next, Pete is an email uh, from uh, Stacy, aka Stingray, aka uh, Trek Girl eighty eight on Twitter. 
uh, who had sent thoughts on Discovery and Picard. We'll share the Discovery stuff right now. Um, uh, by the way, Pete, the email uh, subject line, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So I think, <laughs> I think Stacy has some thoughts. Here we go. Discovery. My only true disappointment in the episode was that we didn't get to see the 10C. So close, but not quite there. I was hoping for something a little more dramatic for Book's name origin, but I did enjoy uh, uh, enjoy the Dread Pirate Roberts-ness of it all. I very much enjoyed how the 10C's bridge language works. Watching uh, the crew figure it out was so cool. More great Reno, though I did question her judgment for wanting black <laughs> licorice. I decided she wasn't uh, that she was so hungry that she wasn't thinking straight, but it turned out she had a good reason for wanting it and was redeemed in my eyes. Ah, smiley face emoji. I've seen people complaining about the emotional elements of the season, and I just don't get it. Star Trek has always reflected real-world events, so why wouldn't it now? I appreciate that they have, and I appreciate your thoughtful coverage of it. Can't wait for next week's episode. So, Pete, that from uh, Stacy, a.k.a. TrekGirl88. Well, very kind there. Looking forward to our coverage. Um, yeah, I think she hit all the notes in terms of what Discovery's done. I, again, get the criticism. I'm not showing 10C, but I'm optimistic that they're going to follow through with that. Pete, what do you have over there on Facebook? So on Facebook, Matt, John Nolan had written in uh, to our post for episode 411, Rosetta, where he said, Hot Bananas, Lower Deck, Favorite with a PH, Food Replicator Malfunction. And I will just add to that that we got another one this week with the Black Licorice, a season two uh, reference. Pete, I feel like I have not had black licorice in a long time. I'm thinking maybe like even as like Mike and Ike's or something. I feel like it's actually bad for your blood pressure. Huh? So then maybe I shouldn't go on Amazon and see how to get black licorice. <laughs> so Red only life Twi Twizzlers for life. And, and once a while, you know, the, the black licorice, but not in quantities because it's not good for your blood pressure. Pete, always great for our blood pressure is hearing the calming wisdom from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 12. Well, Tarka is the selfish scumbag I always thought he is. And first I thought the whole decoding of the 10C language was tiresome and taking too much time but afterwards when I look at it back it was actually quite cool to see how they decoded it. Okay we have to have some emotional and interpersonal discussions but I still found it very strange that Burnham and Saru took the time to talk to each other whereas two worlds are on the edge of being destroyed within a few hours but that's just Star Trek Discovery. Reno was of course terrific in this episode really her episode more or less even apart from the translating stuff of the 10c language so she really shines here really nice okay that was all for now greetings all the best fred from the netherlands uh, pete i can say on the topic of the 
decoding the Tennessee language. I, I legitimately had a moment last night. I wasn't even watching the episode. I just had a moment last night reflecting on that. And I felt this optimism that maybe the story they're telling could be true at some point um, in terms of like just the aspirational nature of Star Trek and the fact that, you know, and like maybe we could use this fine. There's Medi and there's all these plans and so forth to do uh, the, the Linkos language and all of that. And the fact that we as a species have dreamed up the real things that show up in this episode, I found to be kind of affirming. And then the fact that we are telling stories like this, I just found this, this you know, in this troubled world that we live in, I just found, felt this upswell of optimism that we can tell stories like this and that we can create real world tools like this. So I don't know. That's where that's where I land on it. And I feel like I feel like I had a similar discovery process, no pun intended, uh, as Fred did in kind of kind of getting there. That the Discovery Writers Room, since its inception, has repeatedly sought out real world experts as consultants for this and then to make it, uh, you know, part of the story. It's the snake eating its tail. It's the best of Star Trek in terms of representing science and story. Pete, and always representing us are our patrons and our thanks, as always, that they go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek to help make these podcasts possible. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels, uh, past the dollar a month it takes to get you in that door. Can't contribute this month? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds or a review in just a little while longer to any of our 25, soon to be 26, 27, 28 podcast feeds. And Pete, let's keep the Star Trek conversation going, particularly as Discovery you know, prepares for this final episode of season four. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 12,404 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a P-H, all one word, like it today. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, uh, we are all Star Trek for much of this month as we're doing uh, Discovery Saturdays and Picard Sundays. Of course, in two weeks' time, it will shift to uh, some Moon Knight mixed in there as part of the action on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. If you're here just for Discovery, back next Saturday to talk episode 413. And for now, Pete, I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. That's not even close to the weirdest thing that's happened today. 